Well, today is Father's Day, and so I want to bring some thoughts entitled Bible Do's for Dads. Whenever Father's Day comes around, I think of one of my favorite comic strips, Peanuts. And Linus says to Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, what are you going to do for your dad for Father's Day? He said, well, first I'm going to have my dad take me to the zoo. Then I'm going to have my dad take me to the ball game. Then I'm going to have my dad get me some ice cream. He said, by the end of the day, he's going to know he's a real father. You may be here today saying, well, I'm not a dad. I can't be a dad. I never want to be a dad. Or I had a bad dad. So why speak about dads on Father's Day? Well, two reasons. Number one, because some verses in the Bible talk about dads. And number two, because of the fact that every one of us who believes in Christ has a heavenly father. And he uses sometimes earthly dads to illustrate just who he is and what he is to us as his children. In bringing a sermon about dads, I want you to understand I'm not preaching at dads or to dads. I'm preaching with dads. I've made some serious mistakes as a father throughout the years. I continually need to improve from where I am today. And so this sermon is for me as much as it is for anyone. As I studied the scriptures about dads, I found some interesting verses that I think are helpful to us this morning. The first one comes from Psalms. Don't you love the picture? As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. One of the do's for dads that I found in the Bible is that dads are to be compassionate toward their children. And the Bible is obviously using here the illustration of a good dad. And a good dad being compassionate. You know, I went to the internet and I said, I wonder what people think a good dad is. Found some interesting observations. A person named Sean said, what makes a good father? Sharing time. Being a role model. Being honest. Being loving, yet stern. From the wiki how. Have fun. Spend time with and take responsibility for your child. Be a teacher by both word and example. Show affection. Respect your children's mother. Don't place unreasonable expectations on your children or on yourself. Realize a father's job is never done. And you know, no matter how old your kids get or how old you get, that job's never done. It may not be so much control anymore, but it's always still caring and perhaps counsel. A lady named Laura said this, A good father plays with his kids, helps with chores, disciplines, gets involved in his kids' lives, protects his kids, talks with his kids. 
One said, a good father says, I love you every day. Another said, be there for your child, avoid drugs and alcohol. Hmm, kind of an interesting opinion. And then I thought this lady was really dealing with the real world for many dads in our world today. Here's what she gave as a testimony. I loved him, that was her father, unconditionally, even though he cheated on my mother. He left her for that other woman. He had a kid with her. He died of colon cancer at age 56, so he never got to meet my kids. He could have gotten treatment earlier and perhaps survived. She said, I know that sounds bitter, but she said, he did pick me up every Sunday until I could drive on my own. He lent me money anytime I needed it. He always invited me over anytime, including holidays. He kept in touch with all his kids, no matter the circumstances. He always made sure I got to my car and watched me go. He told me he loved me. He gave me hugs and kisses. He never abused me in any way. At the end, after he was sick, we all stayed close as a family, including my mom inviting his family to the home. So that's my real dad. And then she said, my stepdad was good to me too. He taught me how to drive. He loved me unconditionally, even now. He never abused me. He treated me like his own daughter. Devotion, a Bible do for dads. That word compassion in the Hebrew is literally coming from the foundational word to fondle or to actually express a physical affection. In other words, it's more than just saying from your heart, I love you, or saying with your mouth, I love you. It is a sense whereby you reach out and give a pat on the head, or you give a squeeze or a hug, or you embrace somehow because of that desire to express physically the love that is in your heart and spirit. And the Bible says that the Lord has that type of an attitude toward his children, even as an earthly father would express compassion and affection toward his children. And how do we do that, dads? Well, one way is by attention. In other words, spending time together. I wish I had time in this sermon to play for you the song by uh, Harry Chaplin, Harry uh, Chapin, I believe it is, uh, The Cat's in the Cradle. And the whole point of that song is, here's a dad. The little boy would come in, Dad, let's play ball. He said, son, we'll get to it. I'm busy right now. Dad, let's go do this. He said, son, I'm busy. I'll get to it right now. And all of a sudden, the boy grows up, and the dad longs to see him and says, hey, son, come see me. He said, Dad, I will. I'm just busy right now. And so dad's spending time, taking time out of your schedule, no matter how important it seems or demanding it is, to say, I'm going to spend some time with my children. Even if it doesn't seem to be anything big, it's just the idea of being together. Not only attention, but affection. I don't know how many adults that I have dealt with at the funeral of a parent, particularly a dad, who said, you know, the one thing I really missed is my dad just rarely or seldom or never said, I love you. 
And it's amazing to me that adults who even may have had a, a good home, they longed to hear that parent say, I love you. And so dads, that's something that we can do. We can show attention. We can share affection. We can speak it and show it. And then finally, assistance. If there's one person that a child ought to be able to come to and say, man, I know this person cares for me. I know this person will help me if they can. I know this person will listen to me. I know this person will back me up. It ought to be their dad. They ought to know, man, I can still go to my dad. Humanly speaking, I wouldn't be in this pulpit today if it wasn't for my dad. My dad standing with me when I was at the lowest ebbs of my life. And you know, I'll never forget visiting someone in Allegheny County Jail. And I looked across the room as we sat in the waiting room to go in to see the prisoners. And there was an elderly man. And my heart just went out to him. And as we shared, I found out that he came down every week to see his son who's been incarcerated for months and apparently would be incarcerated for years. And it was difficult physically for this elderly man to get down to that prison. But it seemed like in a sense he was saying, I want my son to know no matter what he's done, where he is, how it is, I'm his dad. The Bible says that's the way the Lord is. You see, Romans 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Matthew chapter 7, verses 32 and 33, don't run around saying, what are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Jesus said, your heavenly Father knows that you need those things. He's there with the attention and the affection and the assistance that we need. Not only devotion, discipline. Look what the Proverbs say. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Don't you find that fascinating? That if you delight in your child, you want to discipline them. Now, you see, that may sound strange until you really appreciate the fullness of the word discipline. We often think of discipline in the negative sense. Boy, he disciplined his kids. I mean, he was hard on them, straightened them out, and brought the rod. That's not necessarily the full meaning of discipline. In fact, really, discipline is really the word of like, like really just being right or making something correct. So it can be something positive. You know, sometimes a, a, a little boy or girl is learning to play baseball or softball, and, 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 and they get up to bat, and at first, you know, they hold the bat like this, or they hold the bat like this, or they swing at the ball like this, or they swing at the ball like that. I've seen some of you adults play softball. You're not much better. Okay? But the point is, so what do you do? You go over and you say, no, no, here, let, let me show you, okay? You want to hold the bat like this. If any of you want lessons after church, see me, okay? And, uh, but you hold the bat like this and you step into the ball and you swing even, okay? You swing even and boy, hit that ball. And you see, what are you doing? You are disciplining. 
You're not down on them. I hope you don't act that way about it. You don't, you know, you're not punishing them. You are teaching them to do it the correct way, the effective way, whereby they can hit the ball and be in the game. That's the idea of discipline. The Lord wants us to be correct. The Lord wants us to do things the right way. The parent who really loves their child just doesn't let them go helter-skelter or ignore that which is inaccurate or incorrect in their lives. But they bring the idea, I want to help you be correct. I want to help you have the blessing of doing things the right way. And in this greater concept of discipline, Dad, two thoughts. First of all, we discipline our children by teaching them to respect authority. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12. We are to respect authority for the Lord's sake. Submit to all authority that is instituted by man for the Lord's sake. And it starts in the home because the Bible says, Honor your father and mother. And so the child is taught by the parent or the father in this case, hopefully, to be able to respect the parent and then to be able to respect, as the Bible says in the church, those who are older and then to be able to respect those who are in governmental authority and to be able to respect the laws of the land. You see, to respect authority is biblical and it is something that we discipline or teach within the life of a child. Along with that, we care enough to teach them to avoid penalty. Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs is full of instructions from the father to the children. And in Proverbs 1, verses 10 through 18, he warns against hanging with wrong companions and running without, around with those who are going to get them into trouble because in the end the father says those who go the wrong way and do the wrong things and head into trouble in the end they lay a trap for their own selves and destroy their own lives and the godly bible dad says listen i correct you and i show you the right way and i warn you what to avoid because i don't want you to suffer the consequences of wrong choices and sinful behavior the bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse 6, that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He brings correction and motivation to the right path in our lives because he wants to keep us from sinful consequences and judgment for wrongdoing. And so it is the Bible due for a dad to discipline in the good things as well as in things that go wrong to say this is the right way because I want you to be blessed and this is the right way because I want you to avoid the penalties that come and I want you to be respectful and learn to obey. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, does the Lord have as great delight in burnt offerings and in sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Do you know what the Lord is saying there? He said, I want you to do it the right way the first time so that you don't have to try to make up for it. Not that he won't receive our sacrifices. Not that he doesn't give us second chances. But I can tell you personally, it's better to do it right the first time than to have to try to make up for it after that. Bible do of devotion. The Bible do of discipline. And then there's the Bible do of distribution. 
Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. This is a remarkable verse because we are dealing with someone who is living in perhaps some of the most ancient of times that the Bible records. And Job gave an inheritance not only to his sons, which was very typical of those ancient cultures, but to his daughters as well. What's our point this morning? That it is biblically appropriate, dads, for you to leave some kind of an inheritance for your children. Do you know the Bible says in Proverbs 13 and verse 22 that a man leaves, a good man, a righteous man, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I mean, frankly, it kind of bothers me a little bit when I see these bumper stickers, I'm spending my kids' inheritance. I better not see that on my dad's car, I can tell you that. <laughs> you see, you say, well, Brother Tim, look, we're just living paycheck to paycheck. I understand that. But I'm just going to be real blunt with you this morning. There's probably not a dad here that can't afford a little term insurance. Just to leave your children something. That's the privilege and the blessing of being a dad, to pass on something of value and worth to your children. And so I encourage you to consider that, dads, if you've not already begun to do that for those whom the Lord has blessed in your family, blessed you with. Not only money, if we want to call transferring wealth in that way, but memories. Dad, one of the great legacies you can leave your kids is to leave some kind of a memory. And I'm just going to suggest this to you. You may be blessed with several kids or only one, but I want to encourage you, if you're in a, as a dad in a position to interact with your children, don't just do it as a family, but once in a great while, just make it you and that particular child or family member. I can still remember at the age of about seven years old, my mother placing me on an airplane from Southern California to Kansas City, Kansas, where my dad was preaching a revival meeting. And I met my dad there. He picked me up at the airport, and he had bought a station wagon. And my dad and I drove all the way from Kansas City back to Southern California. He did all the driving, by the way. And... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I can remember us stopping out in Arizona at one of these places, you know, it's got a four-headed cactus and an eight, eight-footed calf and all that kind of crazy stuff, you know, and getting snacks of chips and, and, and big chocolate milkshake. And I remember my dad letting me get one of those great big, big gym, you know, uh, 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 beef jerkies. And, oh, man, you know, and, and just, just I've never forgotten that precious memory of just a time of me and my dad. Dads, leave them something that will help them, hopefully financially. Leave them something of a good memory to treasure. And then leave them something meaningful. One of my cousins a few years ago sent me a book I didn't even know existed. It was my biological mother's cookbook. She died when I was two and a half years old. I didn't even know she had a Betty Crocker cookbook. And she had written some personal notes as well as some recipes in the fly leaves and the pages of that cookbook. My cousin had it. How she got it, I don't know. But she mailed it to me. That's such a treasure to me. And I've already said to my daughter, I said, this is going to be your cookbook because I want to pass on something meaningful to you. Oh, it's probably not worth very much at all dollar-wise, but it's worth much in heritage and in love. 
and so pass on something meaningful. Just did a wedding last week for a couple in our church, Kane Shear and Brittany Simon, and it was so neat. Kane looked so nice in his gray uh, tuxedo, but he said, Tim, look, and he was wearing the pocket watch from his great-grandfather. Oh, folks, let me tell you, how meaningful. Just look at something in your life, dads, and it may not seem like it's worth a great deal, but if it's meaningful to you, it may be something you want to pass on to your children, and they can treasure it and pass it on. Oh, listen, distribution. Job said, I want you to have something. You say, well, I thought this was about the Heavenly Father. Oh, you're right. You see, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has by His mercy given us a living birth, or a new birth, into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to an inheritance which does not fade, does not spoil, does not perish, kept in heaven for you. Our Heavenly Father believes in giving us blessings to come. Bible dads, Bible dudes, devotion, discipline, distribution. And finally, doctrine. Teaching, in other words. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And the verse in Proverbs, again, gives the idea of a father instructing. Exasperating your children. The Bible says, Dad, do not literally enrage your kids. William Barclay has three very interesting comments on how we can do that. He said one is when we don't understand that things change. And he told the story of a mother who said to her little girl, no, I'm not going to let you do that because when I was a little girl, I didn't get to do that. And the little girl said, mother, you were then, I am now. You know what? Things change. Not morals, not biblical principles, but cultures and styles and all that kind of thing change. And it is the wise dad who can live with that, understanding his kids may do it a little differently than he did, as long as it's not causing a compromise with a biblical principle or moral. Number two, control. Barclay warned against the all-controlling dad, the all-domineering dad, who first of all never trusts his kids. And what he's really saying is, I didn't do a good job training you because I can't even trust you. Maybe the reason they can't, you can't trust them is you haven't felt you've done enough good job training them. He said, number two, it's the idea. The child never learns to make decisions on their own because the dad is making all the decisions all the time. And he said, number three, the dad who fits to, forgets to encourage. It's suggested that the great reformer, Martin Luther, had a very harsh father. And Martin Luther, even throughout his godly ministry, had trouble praying, our father, because it evoked some very painful memories for him. And Luther said, oh, I know, forget the rod, spoil the child. He said, but keep an apple by the rod. Because sometimes, yes, we must correct, but there are sometimes we must give encouragement. And oh, it's a wise dad who can understand change. 
It is a wise dad who is able to come along and say, all right, I'm going to give you a little bit of freedom here. I'm going to help you, let you make some choices here. And it is a wise dad who will encourage as well as correct. Don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and the education of the Lord. Literally, that word training has the idea to do with tutoring. It's the idea of hands-on. You get somebody a tutor because they're struggling with something, and so you bring someone personally to work just with them. It's the idea, Dad, you don't just hand spiritual instruction off to the preacher and off to the Sunday school teacher and off to the grove leader. You are involved in spiritually encouraging your child. And not only spiritually, but basically in the decencies of life. First of all, think of the fact we should instruct in decency. We should help our children learn manners. We should help our children learn what it is to be courteous and not rude. We should help our children learn what it is to keep themselves clean. That's the idea. And not only decency, but responsibility. It is the good dad who comes along and teaches what citizenship is about. It it is the good dad who teaches what fiscal responsibility is about. It is the good dad who says, if it's your job, do it. If you have something to say, say it. If it's your fault, own it. Take responsibility. And then spirituality. The great revivalist of early America, Charles Finney, said, to my shame, he said, I never heard prayer once in my parents' home. I hope, dads, that your children have heard you pray. I hope your children know you pray for them. I hope every dad has at some point spoken with their child, do you know Jesus Christ personally? Is Jesus your Savior? It was so precious to me recently as my father came through our home and spent some time with his great-grandson, my grandson. And as they wrestled on the floor and they read books together, it was wonderful. But then I heard my dad say to little Aiden, he said, Aiden, do you know what Jesus did for us? And they talked about him dying on the cross. And my dad said, every day I pray that Aiden will come to faith in Christ as his personal Savior. Oh, I think of Job again, that great dad. In Job chapter 1, the Bible says every morning he offered a burnt sacrifice for every one of his kids. Because he said, if in any way they've gone against God, oh, God, have mercy. I'll tell you, we need some dads like that who just have a spiritual desire for their children. God the Father. Did you know the Apostle Paul? Every one of the 13 books of the New Testament he wrote, he begins in those opening verses with speaking about God the Father or God our Father. Did you know Jesus Christ said in John 20 and verse 17, he said, I'm going back to my Father and your Father. Oh, that's a text that deserves some preaching. And then the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6, and again in the uh, book of Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, the Bible says for the believer, the Holy Spirit stirs within our hearts to cry out, Abba, 
Father. Remember we talked about that Aramaic earlier? That was a term in the Aramaic, the everyday language that Jesus and the people of that day spoke in that area. And Abba is another word for Father. You have the Greek word Father. You have Abba, the Aramaic. But there is some suggestion that Abba has to do with a more familiar term. Does anybody hear text? I cannot say I text. I can say I attempt to text. My children text me, a good dad, I want to text them back, and after hours of frustration, I call them <laughs> and say, don't text me, just call me. It takes me forever to do this. But one of my children, my daughter, will text me, and often the text begins, Daddy-o. It's her affectionate term for me. I've saved those texts. My youngest son will once in a while call, and he has a distinct voice, and will say, Father, this is your son. <laughs> I have saved those voicemails. I'm their dad. They can't deny it no matter how hard they try. But I love it when there's an expression of affection. Now, let me say something to you today from the bottom of my heart. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit stirs you to be affectionate towards your heavenly Father. He certainly is affectionate toward us, His children. If you're a dad here today, the Bible challenges you to be compassionate, correcting, sharing, and instructing in the lives of your children. You know, maybe as an adult dad, and I've been there, you may even have to sit down and write a note and just say, I want to apologize for the times I didn't follow through. As a good dad, I'm going to try to do better. And then I don't want you to leave today without understanding that we're all God's creatures, but we're not all God's children. Until you come to what John chapter 1 says, but as many as received Christ Jesus, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. By trusting Jesus as Savior, God becomes your Father. And the Holy Spirit helps you to cry, Abba, Father. Then you've got a better start toward being the earthly dad that we need to be.